Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. I remember him as a rather diminutive, rather rotund elderly gentleman. I was in college, and he came through to do a week of prayer. His name was Glenn Kuhn, a name that some of you will remember well. Glenn Kuhn was full of life, life and vim and vitality and energy. He splashed joy onto everyone around him. It kind of stood out in the cafeteria one day when he walked through. He was carrying his tray full of food, headed for a table where he could sit and eat with friends. There was hubbub in the cafeteria because it was the noon hour, kids coming from class and getting ready for work and rushing through to eat. And as Elder Kuhn walked through, he walked past a table of particularly boisterous college students, and he looked at them and he said, Hello there, all you saints. (laughs) And somebody immediately shot back, Wrong table. (laughs) That's not us. And I can understand that. Because when I hear that word, saint, what I think of is elite, top-shelf, spiritually advanced, first-name basis with God, way beyond where I am. And after all, that's true in almost every area of life, every arena of life to which we could look. For example, if you look at the academic arena, you start thinking about names like Harvard and Stanford and MIT and University of Chicago and all those places where I didn't study. (laughs) Those are the elite schools. Or you think of Hollywood. Who's elite in Hollywood? Well, you'd have to put probably Katherine Hepburn at the top of that list, having won four Academy Awards, which I understand and read as a record. There's some right behind her with three, like Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep and a few others. But then there are the big box office draws. Denzel Washington, a favorite of mine, or Tom Hanks, or Halle Berry, or Julia Roberts. All of those people, we would say, they are elite. When they are on the tagline, the movie will probably do well. Or maybe you even want to look at companies, businesses. Surely Apple and Microsoft would have to be at the top of that list, but there would be others that would follow as well. Or if you looked at the world of sports and you said, okay, who are the truly elite athletes? Well, you know the names. You can't have that conversation without starting with names like Tom Brady and LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Serena Williams and Lionel Messi. and Well, you know all the names. They are elite, top shelf the best in the world. So when I hear that word saint, that's what I think of. So if Glenn Kuhn were alive today and he could walk here through this church and look out at us and say, hello there all you saints, I'd probably be the first one to say, wrong church. (laughs) That's not us. I mean, way up there. 
But what if somebody were to suggest that when they make the list of saints, your name would be there? Now, I know that makes us a bit nervous. After all, there's some pretty impressive names there. I mean, we live in a part of the world where we ought to know some of those names, right? They're all over the place. San Diego, San Francisco, San Bernardino, San Mateo, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara. There are saints everywhere. So we ought to know something about saints. And to think that our name could get up, well, I don't know about that. Or then we think of a name like Mother Teresa. We think mercy. Here we have a, a young woman that felt the call of God in her life at 12 years old, and by 18, she's diving into the direction which her life will take, which ultimately includes the poorest of the poor, the most abandoned of the abandoned. Mother Teresa, Shane Claiborne said, who worked with her for a period of time, had very deformed feet because she always took the last shoes that were left, and they were often too small. So Mother Teresa's name would be right there on that list. And then your name? My name? I don't think we can do it. That's not a possibility. We could never stand up to that comparison. Now, maybe if we could get the right comparison, maybe if we could do that, maybe that could work. I mean, do you remember the story of the two brothers? They were dirty, rotten scoundrels. It was known all over the community. One of them died, and the living one went to the local pastor and said, I need you to conduct the funeral for my brother. And the pastor said, I can't do that. He was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I can't do that kind of a service. And the brother said, well, his will says that we are to give $100,000 to the church of any pastor who conducts the funeral. And the pastor said, you didn't tell me he's an Adventist. <laughs> and the brother said, but there's a catch. What's the catch? You have to, in the service, from the front, refer to him as a saint. What? Yes. All right, well, you have to do things in ministry. I can do that. Day came, service underway, pastor's time came, stood up, pointed at the casket and said, the man in that casket was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He was a womanizer, a thief, a cheater, a swindler. He was the worst you can possibly imagine. But compared to his brother over there, he was a saint. <laughs> So maybe it depends who I'm being compared with. Maybe I could make that list. Maybe you could make that list. Saint. How are we to think of that? After all, the Bible uses that term often. Well, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today to look at what Paul here has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, the background for this particular passage is fairly simple because it's the opening passage of this letter. Paul has decided to sit down and write a letter to the church at Corinth. It will be a very important letter. But in this opening section, he does exactly what letter writers of his day did. They usually covered three things in the opening section. Who the letter was from, who the letter was to, and their greetings for that person or community. That's what we'll read here in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 to 3. So read it with me. 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes 
to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, who's the letter from? It's from Paul, Paul the Apostle. And yet Paul was always pouring his life into other people. He was always mentoring others. So often in his letters, you will find that he lists somebody else as writing the letter with him. In this case, it's what he calls our brother Sosthenes. All right, so the letter's coming from Paul and Sosthenes, but between you and me, we know it's really coming from Paul, okay? So that's the source of the letter. He gives the greetings in verse 3. It's his standard way of greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I want your lives to be so filled with the grace of God, so saturated by his grace, that that will work itself out in peace with God and peace with others. Grace and peace to you. But there in the middle, who are the recipients of the letter? Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Notice that. It, this is the church of God. It just happens to be located in Corinth. It's a local expression of the church of God. Just like this is the church of God. It happens to be located on the campus of Loma Linda University. It is a local expression of the church of God. That's who Paul is writing to. But then at the end of that verse, he says along with all of those who call on the name of Jesus, their Lord and ours. In other words, I'm not just writing to the church of God in Corinth. I'm writing to any of you, any churches who call on the name of Jesus. You also are my recipients. We call on the name of Jesus. So we're part of the recipients of the letter. Because of that, it becomes very important to understand how he designates his recipients, recipients, both the Corinthians and us. He says it there, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. There's that word, saints. Now, you may be thinking what I'm thinking. Well, that may have been the church at Corinth, but <laughs> I don't know about this church because I'm part of it. It's like the person who came to Haddon Robinson and said, I'm looking for the perfect church and I'll join it. He said, if you find it, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Well, that's the truth of every church. And so when Paul says, I'm writing this to those in Corinth and to all of you who call on the name of Jesus, who have been sanctified, who are called to be saints, we say, wow, we were with you up till that point, Paul. But suddenly what flashed into our mind was, was the LeBron Jameses of Christian faith, the superstars. And that's not us. So how can you call us saints? Well, there are two words in that verse to which we ought to give attention, sanctified and saints. We're really interested in the second one today. So let me read you the com a, a quote from a commentary. I've shared it before. One intended to help Bible translators tease out the meanings of words so they can render them accurately in the receptor language. So here's what this one says. Speaking about this verse, the words saints and sanctified are related to each other. 
Both of these words express the idea that Christians belong to God and are therefore set apart to serve God's purposes alone. So the basic meaning of these two words is that Christians belong to God. They've said that now for a second time. It follows from this that Christians must live good lives, but it is the idea of belonging to God. They're saying it now for the third time. Not that of sinlessness. That is important here. There is no suggestion here or anywhere in the New Testament that special individuals may have the title saint. Saints in the New Testament are always a community of Christians. A community. A community that belongs to God. In the Bible, the term holy, which is related to this same word, means something or someone that has been set apart for a special, specific use, reason, or purpose. This one is special. I have something very specific in mind. That's the sense behind the word saints. Now, there's a problem. The problem is, as you well know, as words go through the years and the decades and certainly the centuries, they start to accumulate baggage. They start to mean things beyond that which they originally meant. Sometimes they start to mean very different things. So when you have some of the older versions, the King James, the New American Standard, the NRSV, translating this word saints, unlike some of the newer versions which translate it God's holy people, that picks up some clutter. And when you have church history filled, with saints, it just seems otherworldly, far beyond me. So it's a bit hard to take in that statement that it applies to the community. So let me read you a second one. This one from the pen of Greg Ogden. Ogden has been very helpful for me in the thinking about this series. Let me read you these words from Ogden. Ogden says, we have taken biblical words that apply to the whole people of God and through the lens of institution have restricted them to apply only to a select group of people. We use the term saint in many ways, but common to each ascription is the idea of a person being spiritually elite. When we examine the biblical use of the term saints, we find the word always applied to the whole body of Christ, not to some select group that have achieved spiritual stardom. Saints, the Greek is hagios, are the ordinary garden variety Christians in a particular time and place whose only distinction is that they are chosen by God, claimed by Jesus Christ, and convened by the Holy Spirit as the church. The term is used 56 times in the New Testament and never in the singular. It does not refer to an individual, but always to the entire body of believers. No saint, but a body of saints applied to the entire body of believers. So while the word has accumulated baggage along the way, when we go back to the original text and ask, what does it mean? It refers to us, the recipients of the letter. Even with that in place, I can imagine that you might be saying, well, that's, yeah, I don't know, but I'm still thinking of all those, Mother Teresa, I can't compare to that. 
And we still have that baggage, that clutter. So let me show you three texts in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that will help us understand the people whom Paul called saints. This can be very enlightening for us. Because if we tend to think, Paul, you got the wrong church if you're talking about us, it would be worth paying attention to what the right church was. So first one, he barely gets done with his introductions just at the beginning of the letter, and he already dives into problems that the church has. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's saying, what are you doing? You're dividing the church. And you're dividing it based on lining up behind your favorite leaders or speakers. You have one saying, well, I, I follow Paul. And no, 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 I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. And then there's always that self-righteous person in the bunch, you know? They hear all that, and then they just kind of outwardly, humbly say, well, yeah, I follow Christ. I say, I hate you. <laughs> what are you doing? You're trying to make them look bad and further divide the church. And Paul says, what is going on? What's happening? This cannot be. We are mere human leaders. We didn't die for you. We didn't do anything other than water what God has planted. And God is providing the increase. You know what Paul calls these people? Saints. Okay. Next text. Next problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, fasten your seatbelts. 5.1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even found among the pagans, for a man is living with his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned so that the one who has done this would have been removed from among you? Paul says, what is going on there in Corinth? Remember where he's writing to, Corinth. Corinth, a city that was proud of, that sported the great temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the temple of love, the, 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 the temple that provided a thousand temple prostitutes to service the worshipers that came. That was the pagan worship of the day. That's the church to which Paul is writing. And he says, look, there's going, something going on in your church that even they wouldn't allow. What are you doing? Do something about it. In fact, what Paul writes here is not aimed so much at the man as it is at the church. Because the church's attitude has been one of pride. Well, we're an accepting church. We're a gracious church. So whatever. Paul says, whatever. Do something about that. You know what he calls these people? Saints. One more. Next chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 5. I say this to your shame. 
Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to decide between one believer and another, but a believer goes to court against a believer and before unbelievers at that? In fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? So Paul is saying you have people in your midst who have some kind of disagreement. Probably money is involved. They're yelling and shouting at each other. Well, this is my right. No, it's not. It's my right. My right. Fine. See you in court. And Paul says, come on. Surely you have some wise enough people in your midst who can bring these parties together and work something out between them without them suing each other. But that's going on. You know what Paul calls these people? Saints. So if you and I are thinking that a saint is a spiritually elite person, the Tom Brady of Christian history. The Corinthian church is saying, not exactly, because we've got all kinds of challenges. So then where does that leave us? Does that mean that the content of the word just gets sucked out of it, that it has no meaning at all? No, it does not. Remember the definition we read earlier, that to be a saint is to be one who belongs to God, one who has been claimed by Jesus. This one is mine. With all of your mess, all of your challenges, all your difficulties, and all of the good ways in which you're growing, the entire package all together, this belongs to me. You are my people. You are my saint. Because we belong to him. It's that matter of belonging. And you say, wow, can that be true for me, seriously? You've heard the name Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning is, is a writer, author, speaker, priest, well-known. He tells the story of how he got the name Brennan. So Manning grew up in a community, like many probably have, where he had a very special friend. He and Ray Brennan were always hanging out together. You know, classmates at school, same team at PE time, growing up through adolescence into teenage years, double dating, uh, planning for the future. They were deep and profound friends. It included them being enlisted in the service and going to fight on the front lines. Manning tells about them being on the front lines. And they were sitting in a foxhole one night, and they were talking. He said Ray was actually eating a chocolate bar. And Manning said, I was, I was kind of reminiscing about home. You remember when and what we did then and what I hope we do when we get home. So I was in the middle of talking about this when suddenly, wham, right there on the ground in the foxhole between us landed a live grenade. It was shocking to both. He looked at Ray, Ray looked at him. He said, Ray dropped the chocolate bar, smiled at him, and then dove on top of the grenade. The resulting explosion immediately ended his life in a tangle of body parts. Crushing for Manning. Quite some years later, he would become a priest. 
And when he became a priest, he was told, you need to take the name of a saint. And Manning said, I know my saint. He was Ray Brennan. So my name will be Brennan Manning. It was some time after his friend's death that Brennan Manning was at the home of Ray's mother. They were talking about things, and Manning was feeling obviously sorrowful and grief-stricken, overwhelmed. And in the conversation, he said to Ray's mother, Do you think Ray really loved me? He said Ray's mother got up and came over and jabbed her finger in his face and said, What more do you want? What else could he do for you? What are you thinking? Of course he loved you. So, when you get to that place, thinking about how Paul used this word, saints, where you're thinking, yeah, but I mean, look at me, and I'm, I, when you're uncertain about that and uncertain whether or not you really belong to Jesus, whether Jesus is really willing to reach out and draw you to himself and make you his own, I want you to go somewhere in your mind. I want you to go to a hill called Calvary and stand before one suspended between earth and sky at the feet of which stands a, a meek woman named Mary. And I want you to say to Mary, the mother of Jesus, do you think he really loved me? And get ready, because meek and mild Mary will come at you, a finger in your face, and will say, what's wrong with you? What more could he do to show you? It is that one who reaches out and sweeps every single one into his embrace with all of our goodness and all of our evil, with all of our growth and all of our lackadaisical spirituality, sweeps us into his embrace and says, you are mine. You're my saints, all of you. But that does have personal implications. The personal implication is this. You, you, you are one of God's saints. You. When they talk about saints, when they use the term, when they make the list, your name will be there because you belong to Christ. You're part of this community of faith. You're part of God's holy people. You're a saint a member of the brother and sisterhood of saints. So then we have to ask the question, what does that pragmatically mean? For my life today, for my life this week, what does that mean? I want to offer you three things that it means. The first one is this. There is no one in this church who has a more direct line to God than you do. There is no one in this church who has a more direct line to God than you do. So, sometimes folk will come to us as pastors, us as church leaders, elders. We'll come and we'll ask for prayer. Pastor, I need you to pray with me. 
My marriage is on the rocks. I'm uncertain whether or not my job is going to last. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I've gotten a very hard diagnosis, and my future is uncertain. Can you please pray for me? Now, let me be clear. If that's you, and you're coming to me asking me that, if what you mean is, Pastor, I need a shepherd. I need somebody to care. I need someone to come alongside. I need someone to whom I matter enough that my name will fall from their lips when they're in the presence of God. I need someone who will walk this journey with me. Then my answer will be yes, yes, a thousand times yes. But if what you're asking is, Pastor, will you pray for me because you have a more direct line to God? That's heresy. There is no one in this church who has a more direct line to God than you do. Because you, you're one of God's saints. How does it get better than that? You have a direct line to God. That's the first thing it means. Secondly, it means that there are no second-tier disciples among us. No second-tier disciples among us. This is not the starting five and the bench, and you're on the bench. It doesn't work that way. Think of it this way. You, you go to the airport, go to fly, and you're waiting there in the waiting area, and they're coming on, they're announcing, you know, the boarding order, and, and, and I know what I paid for my ticket, and it's <laughs> I can sit here a while. And, and, and they say, okay, first-class passengers. And you watch them, and you think, yeah. Well, like you very much, but, you know, you watch them board. On occasion, you might get upgraded. I have on occasion been upgraded. Didn't pay for it, got upgraded. And it's like, oh, yes. Don't do that. If they upgrade you, say, I don't want it, because it will ruin you. It will absolutely ruin you for travel after that. Because then you start to think, this belongs to me. And you get up there, and you, can I give you hot nuts? What would you like to drink? Here's our menu for today. And you're saying, oh, Jesus, I know this is how you meant me to travel. <laughs> but do you know the truth? That is how he meant you to travel. There are no second-tier disciples in the body of Christ. There are no second-class Christians. There is no bench. Because Jesus says, you, each one of you, in this body, you're my saints. Now you say, but wait, there are people who have grown much deeper and had a much greater impact. True. But that's because they have done something that is absolutely open to you. They have taken the time to study and to grow and to develop and to pray and to lay their lives on the altar and say, God, use me however you want to use me. You know what? If you do that, just watch out for what God will do with your life. Because there is no bench. You're part of the starting lineup. There are no second-tier disciples among us. But thirdly, it means that even saints can be called on the carpet and can be called to a higher standard of living. Even saints. Just read 1 Corinthians this afternoon. For that matter, 2 Corinthians 2. For that matter, Galatians. Put on your asbestos gloves. Because Paul comes at them. These are people he has just called saints, and yet he calls them on the carpet, and he says, what are you doing? You belong to God. 
You are his. All of the riches of heaven are at your disposal. And this is how you're living? Please. Even saints get called on the carpet and called to a higher standard of living. 1 Corinthians is a great example of that reality. I love the way Max Lucado says it. He makes it so plain and so simple. He says, you want to make a difference in your world? I would say, do you want to live like a saint in the world? Live a holy life, says Lucado. What does that mean? It means be faithful to your spouse. Be the one at the office who refuses to cheat. Be the neighbor who acts neighborly. Be the employee who does the work and doesn't complain. Pay your bills. Do your part. Enjoy life. Don't speak one message and live another. People are watching the way we act more than they are listening to what we say. So even as the saints of God, at times you'll call us on the carpet and call us to live a higher standard. But all of that is because of one simple truth. You are one of God's saints in this local expression of the body of Christ. You are one of God's saints. I love the way William Barclay, the venerable old Scottish scholar, defines what it means to be a saint. I don't know that it's ever been said any better than how he said it. A saint is someone whose life makes it easier to believe in God. That's you, friends. That's you. So I want to ask you to do something with me. I don't often ask you to do this, so I hope you'll suffer me this one time. I want to ask you if you would say something with me. I want you just to say these two words, right church. Now I want you to say it with some vim and vigor, right church. Okay, one more time. Now I want you to really say it, right church. Hold that right there. And just imagine that Glenn Kuhn comes sauntering through here. And he looks up and sees you. And he says, hello there, all you saints. And you say, God of grace, praise your name. Praise your name for who you have made us to be because we belong to you. We thank you from the deepest parts of our souls. And we say, right church, by your grace, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.